into the first conference preview show of the 2022 season. We did these last year and we're back. You know, Mike and I kicked off a show a week ago and posted that. It was sort of our coming out party for the new year. We're finished all of our preseason content, at least we think we do. Uh, We think we are. We, you know, that preseason fantasy draft guide that is available now on the site is an evolving document. We work on that throughout the summer. Mike and I are going to talk about that uh, on the show. We looked at biggest questions from every team. We went conference by conference. It was a new addition to the preseason fantasy guide. And so far, a lot of great feedback in regards to that addition. There's a lot more player rankings, uh, defensive teams, uh, defense special team streaming, draft day cheat sheets, impact freshmen, everything that you need for your drafts. We've got it. And we just updated the draft draft guide again this past week by adding our 2022 projected depth charts for each team. Mike did a great job with that. Took a look at the two deeps with every team. And with that, I'm going to, I'm going to welcome Mike in. So Mike, welcome in, man. We're going to look at the AAC today. We're going to go conference by conference, team by team. Some's going to, some's going to involve a little bit more than others. Right. Uh, But you know, we're going to get through all the teams, maybe a short tidbit here or there. And some teams we may need to kind of spend a few minutes on and, you know, this is where it gets fun for us a little bit. We'll go back and forth. We're going to agree probably on a ton, but there's going to be some where you and I have had some discussions over the last couple of months. We see a little differently, and it's it's kind of unique to have uh, two perspectives. And so we're gonna we're gonna do that and cover the AAC today. Yeah, absolutely. Um, fun conference to cover. I mean, there's some bottom feeders, but uh, some of the big boys at the top are you know challenging for the 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 college football playoff like we saw last year with Cincinnati so it's a it's really a fun conference both just watching college football and then for obviously college fantasy well this has always been a conference that's been beating the drum of being included with the big boys right and we saw Cincinnati uh, get the spot into the playoff last year Central Florida was beating that drum a few years back and so we'll we'll start off there because there's a very intriguing situation developing at quarterback over there with Central Florida with John Rice Plumley transferring over to UCF after playing wide receiver at Ole Miss, you know, that whole transition that, that he went through over there. That was one of our questions for UCF going into coming out of spring, going into the summer, going into the preseason, right. Or going into the 2022 season is what are they going to do at quarterback? Do you see John Rice Plumley as sort of the favorite there that you, you expect him to open up as a starter? I see him as the favorite. I'm starting to be a little bit more hesitant about him opening up as the starter. I think he's the best talent on the team, right? Um, I know I read the preseason magazines more than you do. And at least one of them I've seen does have Mikey Keene as the starter, which is not shocking. He's got a a year in the system at this point. Um, His numbers are actually better, like taking a second look um than I initially thought I think it's just the fact that he's so like physically uninspiring (laughs) I I mean I'm physically uninspiring but I don't mean to call a college athlete that but like he's 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 slender and he's what 5'11 maybe 5'10 doesn't run the ball very much so you know he's not really exciting from that standpoint but his numbers as a true freshman were as good as Mackenzie Milton's were when he was a freshman so I mean, it's, a, it's not a bad base to, to work with. I just think this offense under Gus Malzahn kind of takes off with a running quarterback. And that's who we hope, you know, especially with me ranking him as my QB 10. That's who I hope John Rice Plumley is. Um, I think the easy comparison is Nick Marshall back in 2014 under Gus Malzahn, you know, similar running style quarterback. And I was just looking at, at Nick Marshall's game logs back then. And it's like, I think 10 of 13 games he rushed for double digit carries. Like you give John Rice Plumley that type of workload in, in a defense, uh, like in a conference, like the AAC, um, you think he's should come near a thousand yards or at least close to that. He's, if he gets that sort of workload. So, you know, it's, it's one of those situations. I have him QB 10 right now going to keep tabs during the summer to see if there's a, a you know I think Keen might be have a slight edge right now where we're more just projecting at this point um, but I, I definitely want to see what the sum transpires in the summer because I'll have to drop them down slightly if we hear that maybe Keen is going to start that first initial game 
Yeah, I think what you mentioned is the biggest dilemma that we face sometimes getting out the preseason content because I and, and John Rice Plumley has obviously been the topic of discussion we've had. Uh, we go into pretty, you know, pretty good depth when we're talking about projections because we do have to project a QB one right now. Much like you mentioned, you know, with yourself reading some of the preseason publications, I do not like reading as much because I want as little influence on my thought process as possible. But I do like to to read them after I'm through with the process just to kind of see where my thoughts land versus some of the others or beat writers that are covering some of the teams, right? And so I I have more of, of a my, my mindset is a little bit more that I want to project the guy that I think is going to be starting come games two, three, four, and five, not necessarily who might open as the starter, right? So I think you're right. And I think the biggest question for UCF and, you know, we're probably spending more time on this than we will with some of the other teams, because when you're talking about a Gus Malzahn offense and you're talking about the offense that, you know, when he utilized Nick Marshall, all of a sudden now you're looking at a serious college fantasy football asset that you have there at your disposal and available to you at your in your drafts. And that's why John Rice Plumley is ranked so high and has the projections that he does uh, in which we posted on the site because we did have to, pr- have to project someone in that one spot. And we feel that even though Keen was pretty efficient last year, John Rice Plumley brings that element of athleticism to the, to the position that Keen doesn't and can really open up that offense. And you don't necessarily, and history shows, that you don't necessarily have to be the greatest passer in that offense if you've got a quarterback that can threaten with his legs, right? You just need to be able to have your receivers create some separation. And so that's why we're projecting John Rice Plumley right there. As you mentioned, coming out of the spring, you might feel a little hesitation. But that's what coming out of the spring, remember college football is a year-round sport now, right? They're pra- you know, you've got summer practices, you've got preseason practices. And my thought is, and I know you and I kind of land in the same spot on this, given the summer, given the more reps that John Rice Plumley is going to get back at quarterback throughout the summer, throughout preseason camp, gives him a chance to really get back into the groove. And we're talking about a guy that has a lot of athleticism and sometimes the curve to get back there is shortened based on the athleticism of the player. So that, you know, is, this was definitely warranted time to spend here. There's going to be a lot of questions on it, but that's why John Rice Plumley is rated ranked and projected so high it's really he's a product of that Gus, Gus Malzahn offense and what the capabilities are of a quarterback of John Rice Plumley's athleticism in that offense right yeah I also think it's notable that the the incoming freshman they bought in I don't I'm gonna butcher his name so I'm not even gonna bother saying it but the incoming freshman they brought in who they also like another dual threat right so it's just, it's it's a stylistic change that I think we're going to see under Malzahn at UCF. Yeah. Now, look, let's transition to another program where we've got quarterback uh, is, is a topic of conversation as well, where Desmond Ritter moved on from Cincinnati, Mike. So, you know, a lot coming back at Cincinnati. We did have Johnny Ford move on. Uh, we could probably spend some time with Corey Kiner coming in there uh, from LSU transferring in. But I think really the focus for us is right now at that quarterback spot where Ben Bryant transferred back to Cincinnati after spending the year and working himself into a starter's role at Eastern Michigan last year against the young gun Evan Prater uh, coming up, right? And so another situation, maybe not as contrast to what we see at Central Florida, but maybe Prater, the younger, more athletic guy coming in against the more experienced, possibly more efficient Ben Bryant. How are you seeing things shake out? Because I know we have... We have Prater uh, projected right now as our starter. So I know where you're going to land with this, but, but, you know, is this, should we keep an eye on this situation throughout the summer and preseason camp? I think we keep an eye on it. Um, this is definitely not my personal top question with Cincinnati. Um, just because I think Corey Kiner and who comes out at that running back one is just more, is going to be more valuable for, uh, for CFF purposes. Um, my I think it was fairly even coming out of camp with between Prater and Ben Bryant, um, which makes me think that the Cincinnati and their staff have to go with Prater to start the season, right? Ben Bryant's a senior. He's going to graduate after this year. I know he's, you know, he originally signed with 
with Cincinnati, but you don't have any ties to this guy, right? Prater is multiple years left. You have to give him the start, I think, to, to, to avoid risking him leaving. Now, you know, if he doesn't win the job and he ends up leaving, well, he wasn't good enough to win the job anyways. But I think you have to at least give him the initial start, in my opinion, see where it goes. And then you have a safety blanket in Ben Bryant. Yeah, I, you know, look, I couldn't agree with you more. I think in all things considered equal situations, the younger, more talented, you know, the younger guy with maybe the higher ceiling is probably going to get the benefit of the doubt and nothing you know, that's definitely ringing more true today than it did maybe three or four years ago where guys are ready to bolt out of programs if they're not playing right away, right? Where's Ben Bryant going to go? Well, you lose him. He's a senior. You lose Prater. You possibly are losing a two, maybe three-year starter, right? But Mike, let's jump over to the running back with Corey Kiner. If that's a little bit more of the question, let's, let's dig in there for a minute because there are, this was something before Kiner transferred in. You and I were kind of sitting down and really looking at this running back room saying, oh, man, they've got three options that, that they can use there. Well, now Kiner comes in as now more of a fourth option, right? And so, you know, we're, we're leaning more with Kiner coming in, the more talented guy, much like Ford came into the program and took over as the starter. Uh, but what are some things that, that might be of concern for you with Kiner? That Kiner comes in, like, I, I, I think – I personally think he's going to immediately start. The the hesitation, slight hesitation, I would say, is that he comes in just like Jerome Ford did a couple of years ago, and he's still splitting time with somebody. Because remember, Jared Dope started for most of that year. We all saw that Jerome Ford was the best talent in that backfield, but you also got to listen to the coaches and, and listen to them telling you that Jared Dokes was the starter, right? So maybe we see a situation where coaches are saying, hey, you know, it's not going to be Charles McClellan, but maybe a a Miles Montgomery, a Ryan Montgomery, you know, maybe coaching quotes lead towards that. I think it's still going to be Kiner. I'm investing in Kiner still in the best balls that we're doing, kind of in the five, six, seventh range, just because, you know, if if a Cincinnati running back hits, he's going to have 200 plus carries. Kiner already has the size that you kind of look for in a uh, Cincinnati running back, you know, 217 pounds, just kind of Michael Warren-esque, Jerome Ford-esque, and those guys rush for 19 touchdowns, right? So I like Kiner to start immediately, hometown kid, um, and, and Cincinnati gets back all five starters along the offensive line. They weren't great last year, but again, continuity should help. Yeah, I think that's the one thing that, that you know, if I were to make a call on this situation, I can see something playing out to what, you know, in, in a similar fashion of what you mentioned, whether or not Kiner starts out getting the workman's, you know, you know, a, you know, great workload and becomes that really workhorse back out of the gate. That's debatable. Uh, but I think when you've got Prater and you've got a running back like Kiner, I think what I'm looking at may be slow out of the gate. But once when they sort of hit their stride weeks three, weeks four, weeks five, I think that's when we'll see what Cincinnati truly is on offense. And by that time, you know, three or four games in, once when they get into the heart of conference play, then you'll see guys like maybe Prater and Kiner really start to be ridden a little bit more uh, heavily. But I can see some rotation early. But like I said, you know, like you you said and, and we talk about, we try to look long-term, right? Not necessarily what's going to open up in weeks ones and week two, but when you're talking about college fantasy football, you're talking about an investment over the course of the long haul of the season. And so not only do you need the guys product, product, uh, productive in the first couple of weeks, you need them for the long haul. And so that's what I think with Cincinnati, they sort of hit their stride in weeks two, three, four. They spend the first couple of games trying to figure that out. Now, one team where we don't have to worry about figuring a lot out is Houston. That returns a lot as well offensively, Mike. But there are some, some questions there. Uh, you know, we know that they lost Alton McCaskill, right? And so what's going to go on with, with running back there? Uh, what, what's your biggest question for, for the Cougars going into 2022? Uh, if I had a question or concern, it yeah. would be Nathaniel Dell. Um, and I still, obviously, I rank him. I think he's in 11, wide receiver 11, 12. Um, but they've, Dana Holgerson really attacked over the offseason what was the issue last year, right? Who did Houston throw the ball to anytime, you know, Toon was under duress? It was it was Nathaniel Dell, 32% target share, which is the ninth in the country. 
they had nobody else to throw the ball to, right? It was Dell, and that's about it. So Holgerson went out and fixed that issue. You get Matthew Golden, the, the high three-star recruit who obviously popped during the spring game. You get Sam Brown, uh, Joseph Manjack. You get um, Keyshawn Carter back, uh, Cody Jackson from Oklahoma. So you've got all these bodies now. That target share is not going to be at 32% again um, this year. I'd have to imagine if, if one or two of these guys steps up and becomes, you know, a, a, a solid option for Clayton Tune in the passing game. So, you know, Nathaniel Dell's still going in that that third round range. Is that is that going to be too high? So if I have a concern about Houston, it would be, you know, my Nathaniel Dell share, shares, which I have a few of them. But, you know, I'm kind of my take, hot take, I guess, for this season is that if there is a quarterback that has a Kenny Pickett-like boom season, it's going to be Clayton too. The weapons, as I just mentioned, are there for him. Schedule is relatively easy. You know, I mean, ACC, uh, the AAC schedule plus, you know, I think they get Texas Tech might be their best opponent. Non-conference, I, I don't quote me on that, but I don't think it's anything overbearing. Um, and then Alt McCaskill in the, in the running game, like, you know, we, we project Brandon Campbell, but he hasn't proven anything to this point. Tazon Henry's kind of a scat back type. I think it bodes well for, for Clayton Toon, maybe getting some more uh, red zone touches, um, you know, improved as a passer last year. I think if there if there's a quarterback that jumps into the top 10 that we don't project, I think Clayton Toon has a really good shot at that. We, we are in complete agreement right there. I know we've spoken about Toon as well. Wonder, wondering with McCaskill's injury, maybe a change philosophically, throwing the ball a little bit more. If a wide receiver, two emerges opposite Dell, remember they've got Trahan at tight end as well, right? If they have some options emerge, emerge at receiver for Toon, he could be where he's going in drafts right now. Will be extre- he'd, be, he'd be an extreme – he's extremely valuable with where he's going given the upside of that offense, particularly if they get a little bit more pass-heavy, losing McCaskill, you know, the question is, you know, they're going to have backs to fill McCaskill's spot. The question is, is are they going to be able to get, the, you know, that type of productivity out of their next running back? And so we might see them take to the air a little bit more. I do like Nathaniel Dell. I do think he's going to be a frequent target. Will he get the share that he got last year? That's, you know, that's arguable, debatable, and maybe not likely. But where you and I are agreeing is that we feel the offense for Houston could be even more better this year and take to the air a little bit more so that where he might not make up on the percentage, he might make up on just sheer volume of targets. And so, yes, I we're, we're in agreement on Clayton Toon right there. Um, let's skip over to East Carolina, Mike, where, you know, you've got running, you know, the quarterback coming back, Holt Nailers, there's some turnover at receiver. Uh, where where are your eyes kind of glancing uh, in regards to going into the new season with East Carolina right now? Yeah, I don't have a ton of like strong opinions regarding East Carolina. I think they're going to be better this year. Not like just not from a, a fantasy standpoint, but just kind of overall football team. Um, I know the head coach, Mike Houston, kind of went out and upgraded the offensive line, which has been a struggle since he was hired. Uh, the defensive line. So I think they'll be better. How much that translates to actual fantasy production, I'm not sure. You know, you didn't really hear a lot about Colt Nailers this spring. Like, just, I don't know, kind of same guy, maybe. Um, you know, they they mentioned the backup more. So I don't think he's necessarily a threat to get replaced. But, you know, you don't hear about these major steps in progression now being a senior. You know, Keaton Mitchell's uh, a really good back, really explosive. But, you know, they got Rajay Harris, who, you know, we can poo-poo as a, you know, uh, average running back, but coaches don't talk about him like that. They talk about him as a 1B option to uh, to Keaton Mitchell. Plus, you add Kamaro Edmonds, the North Carolina transfer. So, um, you know, this is a, a, a scheme that doesn't have a, a, like a, a – 200 carry workhorse yeah. if you look back over the years so they're gonna spread it around maybe not with three names so you know wide receiver core is kind of eh, they weren't they were the beat writers killed the wide receivers during the spring nobody stepped up um so I think they'll be a better team but I don't 
fantasy production it's probably just gonna be the same as as years past I feel like quarterback Holt Nailers has been one of those guys over the last three years where there's just been a lot of optimism and and he's never seemed to kind of give that one breakout season and so now we're going into his last season like oh what we see is what we get right now we know they went uh they added Isaiah Winstead right at receiver they brought him over for Toledo I do think that the receiver situation is worth monitoring because somebody has the possibility of being a target uh, hog in that offense. We just don't have a good beat on it. And I think for me, and this is something that we've discussed when we were doing projections, when you look at Keith Mitchell and Rajay Harris last year, their rushing totals as in regards to their carry distribution was relatively 50-50. They were pretty darn close. It was Mitchell. His yards per carry average was just astronomical compared to Rajay Harris's. And so that's my concern with Mitchell this year is, are they going to springboard? Is Mitchell going to springboard from last season? Are they going to feature him a little bit more because of that? Or are we going to see a little bit more of a 50-50 share because they feel that Rajay Harris has a little bit more of a bounce back season and we see those Russian totals come a little bit closer together. So for me, that's really the concern with East Carolina is trying to figure out where does Keaton Mitchell fit in this? Is he going to be that go-to workhorse back? I don't really see that happening. I can see them divvy up carries a little bit closer to like what they had last year. And when you look at the yards per carry, I don't think Rajay Harris can get much worse. And then all of a sudden, like you said, you throw in Edmonds in there from you at the UNC transfer. And I'm wondering whether or not Mitchell can kind of hit, hit the numbers that he had last year. So that's where I'm at as well. So yeah. anything to move on with East Carolina before Just, we finish up them? Mike? Yeah, two quick notes. Uh, CJ Johnson, uh, we do not have him projected right now, but he's still on the roster. So keep tabs on that during the summer. Um, he's suspended or was suspended during the spring. But again, still on the roster, no movement that we've seen there. So could still be an option for, for Holt Nailers in the passing game. And then Tight end real quick. Ryan Jones is being drafted in our best balls as a top 15 tight end. Makes sense. He had 20 receptions in the final month. But you see Shane Calhoun, the backup, being listed as the starter, actually, in in a few places. So maybe because the wide receiver room is lacking that they get the tight ends more involved. But I have not been drafting Ryan Jones. Yeah, and Shane Calhoun was a name that we noticed was popping out in some of the scrimmages that were being that was being reported on too. So that's a that's a that's a good notice, just sort of throwing out the caution flag uh, for what we've seen from East Carolina since the spring. Um, we're going to go over to another team where I don't think we're going to have a ton of questions, Mike. But you know, it's worth mentioning Tulsa. Uh, where they get Keelon Stokes back. I know you and I were a little surprised when, when we saw that he was coming back again. They have Juan Carlos Santana coming back. So two receivers coming back this year, but they did lose Shamari, uh, Shamari Brooks at running back this year. So I think for me, it's kind of keeping an eye on the Tulsa backfield and, and will there be any type of a workhorse back there? Or will we see some split carries? What, what are you looking at Tulsa right now? Yeah. Did you hear that sound behind me? That's Davis Brin throwing another interception. Okay. Uh, he, yeah, he, he did not pan out last year. Uh, he was fine. Right. Um, threw for 3000 yards, but had 18 touchdowns, 16 interceptions. And you look back at his game log. It's obviously it's very noticeable. He struggled against good competition and beat up kind of, uh, and when I say beat up, it was, you know, two touchdown passes, um, he beat up on lesser competition. So he really struggled outside of, what, throwing for 500, 400 yards against Ohio State in that week two game. But, um, you know, he's just a, a back of the roster type quarterback because he doesn't run. Running backs, I I'm, I haven't invested any draft capital there. They've got, you know, Benard Prince back, uh, Anthony Watkins, Watkins back. Yeah. Um, they, some, I just read it. They added some Juco transfer who rushed for a thousand yards last year that I didn't even realize was on the roster. So maybe that's a potential, another body in that backfield that gets carries. So not really interested there. You know, the, the, they brought back all five starters on the offensive line last year and they weren't even any good. And now they have turnover. So I'm worried about the running game and the offensive line. Um, I think Keelan Stokes is probably who I'm most interested in. Maybe Juan Carlos Santana because he's so explosive, but 
Um, yeah, it's kind of receivers and, and not much else for me. With yeah, I, I, yeah, I agree with you. I think more so Keelon Stokes would be more of a target for me, particularly in PPR formats, maybe half-point PPR, but I would think that would be more of the guy that I would be looking at with Tulsa as well. Now, Memphis is a different situation. We've got a, a bunch of options there. Uh, we, we could go a number of different ways here. I know for you and I, yeah, you know, obviously with Grant Gannell transferring out of that program kind of makes things easier at quarterback. Seth Hennigan, we were already leaning that way as well when we were doing projections. So, you know, something you and I talk about when we're doing this in April and, and May, we talk about all the time, man, we wish somebody would transfer or, you know, because, you know, we talk about this. I don't like to wish injuries on anyone, but transfers and injuries create about as much clarity on a depth chart than anything that we could possibly hope for. So when Grant Gannell, you know, transferred out of there, that was sort of the writing on the wall for Seth Hennigan, right? Well, let's look at the other situation at running back where they bring in Jay Ducker from Northern Illinois, right? And so now that's created a little cloud of uncertainty at the running back position for us going into the new year. You've got offensive coordinator, Tim Cramsey, that has come in here that, historically has been his running back ones have been just fantasy gold most years. Right. And so now we've got another clouded situation where, you know, Memphis has a deep backfield. They bring in Jay Ducker. You've got Brandon Thomas coming back. You've got a few names there that have some experience. Is that kind of where your eyes are at right now? They have experience, but they're not any good. No, I get it. And and I I might even be too harsh on those running backs. That's what you say about me sometimes, Mike. You got experience, but you're not any good. (laughs) (laughs) You're the the Papa Joe of the group. That's fine. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I I mean, you know, I criticize, you know, a Rodriguez Clark or whatever as just kind of a guy or and and Kyle Watkins, some of the guys that they've had in the backfield. But this... I mean, running game hasn't been any good since Ryan Silverfield took over as head coach. I think it was like they're at 180 game or 180 yards the the season before he took over. Then they dropped down to 145 yards per game, and then it bottomed out last year to 136 yards per game. So it's I don't know if it's scheme, if it's the offensive line. You know, I'd have to dig in a little bit more on that. But you know, the running game just hasn't been any good. Um, with this current staff so maybe Tim Cramsey can help out unfortunately we didn't get any resolution in the spring in terms of a depth chart because uh, Jay Ducker the NIU transfer was not available um, during camp so we definitely I think we're in agreement that we project Ducker to win out there Um, I think Brandon Thomas can can kind of challenge him because he looked good in spurts last year but I think it's just kind of the the scheme as a whole needs to be upgraded for Ducker or whoever starts to to produce at a level that we've seen from Memphis backs. I think that's why we sided with Jay Ducker, right? To your point earlier, they have a number of, they've got a number of bodies in there, but none that have been able, and now don't get me wrong, Ducker did it at NIU, but like NIU, I mean, they won, they won the Mac last year, right? So that offense was was legit and and he was very good and he's the only guy that's on the Memphis roster right now that really has shown and has proven that he can do it over the long haul week in and week out with the workload that Cramsey likes to get out of his running back one right and so that's why we side with Jay Ducker coming out of the spring uh, wouldn't you agree with that point there yeah and I, I I don't have the timeline in the back of my head but I would assume Ducker's arrival came after Cramsey maybe I have that mixed up but I would assume they hired Cramsey and they sought after Ducker in the portal so must be a scheme fit there that Cramsey saw um real quick to button up Memphis I think to to talk about the receivers a little bit because you got 146 vacated targets Mm, we're not going to see a Calvin Austin I think we can all agree there but You know, you're going to average 32 attempts per game with Memphis and Cramsey. So somebody's going to be viable. I think Javon Ivory's the guy, but um, I think reports coming out of the spring was uh, kind of a wide receiver by committee. So I take a shot on Ivory, but. Which is something that we really were hoping to get coming out of spring. Some better reports coming from the receivers, but we saw, especially with Cramsey as, you know, even at Marshall, um, it was more of a committee approach at times, and and there wasn't really anybody that really blew the numbers off there. Where you know we we know 
uh, Rasheen Ali was just a, a monster last year, right? And so, um, you know, I think what we're looking at and what we talked about is we're not going to see a running back produce that type of numbers, but we're, we could we could expect some receivers to maybe produce a little bit better numbers than what we saw at Marshall last year. And with that being said, you know, you can't ignore Seth Hennigan, right? Let's just not ignore him because uh, last year, um, you know, Cramsey's quarterback over at Marshall, uh, you know, had a had a Grant Wells who transferred to Virginia Tech didn't have a bad year last year. I mean, he threw for a ton of yards last year. So we don't necessarily want to overlook Seth Hennigan, do we? No, I think he's just like a, a rock solid, like quarterback two, quarterback three on your roster. Pace, I looked at it, pace and, and you know, passing volume doesn't change a whole lot with Cramsey versus what the previous offensive coordinator did. Cramsey runs the ball a little bit more, but I mean, it's minuscule difference, like 32 versus 34 pass attempts per game. So uh, volume's not going to change drastically for Hennigan this year. So moving on from Memphis, I really don't even feel like it's worth time to drop anchor on Navy because uh, we're not going to be there long. Uh, you had that me- one queued up, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> well, when you're talking, I'm thinking of things where I'm going to go next, right? And so that was it. Uh, you know, for us, I know we talk about it all the time. It's just whether or not we're going to get those days of the Malcolm Perry quarterbacks, Keenan Reynolds. It seems like those, day- those days have come and gone. You've got Ty Lavatai at quarterback. I expect him to be better this year. I expect him to be the starter, but um, not really much anything. There's nothing been, there's, there hasn't been anything relevant, particularly in our best ball drafts or any got by that we've, we've spoken to that have, you know, that are interested in anything in Navy right now. Are you? No, not at all. Um, I mean, it's been a few years since any position player at Navy's finished within the top 100 last year or, uh, at their uh, specific uh, position. Um, last year was just a mess. Did you did you hear about all that stuff with Navy? Like they're, they are obviously struggling, fired their offensive coordinator. There was uproar because this guy has been with the staff. You know, they've had, uh, you know, decade-long continuity with their staff. They fired their OC because their offense was struggling. There was an uproar from the fan base or the team or whomever. The AD ended up bringing the off. He was forced to bring back the offensive coordinator back, but in like a, a lesser role. And I mean, maybe a slight uptick in, in offensive production, but not much. So um, I, 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 unfortunately, I'm not really investing much. If anybody, it's Ty Lavatai, just because of the workload that Navy gives their quarterbacks in the running game versus, you know, a diff, like Army gives their fullbacks and running backs more opportunities in the running game their yeah. triple option versus the navy so maybe tie lava tie but but that's the extent of it for navy all right mike well that ship has sailed let's move on to south florida <laughs> knew it <laughs> uh you know the bulls added jerry Buh- uh, bohannon from baylor out of the transfer portal um after blake shapen was was you know seemingly the better quarterback over there um probably an upgrade from timmy mcclain uh, you know, Jaron Mangum maybe. last, maybe we'll see. Uh, Jaron Mangum was spectacular last year. He was a touchdown vulture, right? Uh, you know, the question is, can he duplicate that this year? South Florida does have some weapons at receiver. I can see the Bulls being a decent team this year. The question is, is how much investment can we really make from a fantasy standpoint? And that's where really I'm torn a little bit with South Florida and really kind of on the fence with saying, ah, maybe status quo right now, maybe the best investment for South Florida player right now might remain Jerem Mangum in deep formats as some sort of a flex option. Where do you see the bull shaking out right now? Yeah, I, I think Mangum is uh, obviously the best fantasy option right now. I mean, he rushed for what, 12, 14 touchdowns last year. I don't remember off the top of my head, but you know, he was tremendous in the red zone. But then you bring over Gary Bohannon, who had nine rushing touchdowns by himself. I think Mangum's, Mangum's like opportunities in the red zone are, are bound to regress because Bohannon, you know, if he winds up being the starter, which I'm not so sure about yet, but um, I think Mangum's numbers could very well per, uh, regress uh, from the past year. I wanted to talk about quarterbacks, though, just for a little bit. Yeah. We, we inserted Bohannon as a, as a QB one. I think when you just, when you make that kind of addition, 
you know, I think the coaches view him as a potential starter, but I mean, we drafted Bohannon last year because of that early Well, I didn't, Kyle Francis drafted him. I didn't draft him. I gave him shit for drafting him and I ended up being semi wrong on that, but you know, we drafted Bohannon for his early season schedule and, and he produced, right. He, he had four 30 point games against, you know, Texas Southern, um, uh, let's see, Kansas, Texas Southern, Kansas, West Virginia, and then Oklahoma, who wasn't any good defensively. But when he got to later in the year, as we saw, hence why we projected Blake Shapin, you know, the wheels kind of came off. He faced more competent defenses and, and he struggled. On the flip side, you look at Timmy McClain. Now, he wasn't a perfect product by any means last year. True freshman, completed 55% of his passes. His three best performances, 70% completion rate against BYU. He had over 300 total yards and two touchdowns, led his team to 42 points against Houston, which is very good. And then he killed me on his prop, his passing prop against Cincinnati, where I had him under 200 passing yards against, uh, you know, that vaunted secondary. And he had a tremendous game. I mean, not tremendous, you know, he threw yeah. two interceptions, but he, he kept them competitive. Uh, I think he had two total touchdowns against the Bearcats but his three best performances were arguably against the three best teams that he faced on the schedule, which is drastically different than Bohannon who struggled against that. Competition. Well, it's so. interesting how this, how the roster is shaping up and we do have Bohannon projected at, at quarterback one. Could this be a situation that we see a little seesaw through the season? Because look at the additions that look at what South Florida has at receiver, right? They bring weight Weaver back. You've got horn. They bring in a Jew from Clemson and Caffrey Brown from North Carolina. So not saying that those guys were any good because they wouldn't have transferred out of their program if they were playing. Right. But the talents there and look, that's his two decent talent. It's not like those guys went to Navy or Tulane. Right. I mean, it, it, it's, it's a couple of players that went to some pretty decent programs that have some upside. So it's interesting to see how they're developing the roster there where they have some, un, they, they've got some decent receivers and some really untapped potential. And then they bring in Bo Hannon, who has shown he could be productive, particularly put up some fantasy numbers, but is he what is he going to be what the offense is going to need and where they're shaping the roster, right? Yeah. One, they brought in 20 new pieces, 21 new pieces to the roster, but Jeff uh, Scott's got a win this year. He's got one win against F FBS opponent in the last two years and zero wins on the road. It's not good. He needs to start winning games. Well, you know, talk about another program, not good and not many fantasy assets. We can, we can get through temple real quick, but who gives a hoot, right? Um, let's see. <laughs> For the owls, right? For the owls. Uh, you know, this that was is... an intended joke, wasn't it? Well, of course it was Mike. <laughs> Give me a little bit of credit here. So, <laughs> You know, one 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 player that you and I have always had fun taking jabs about is is Dwan Mathis, where I have been on record telling you this guy's never going to be a full time starter in the FBS level. Right. Um, they bring in Quincy. What Quincy Patterson was it from North Dakota State? Um, you know, I, is there anything to be excited about with Temple at this point? No, I don't think so. Um 45% of their returning production on defense. So they're going to struggle there. There's no fantasy assets at this juncture that we see on offense. Um, you know, backfield, they brought in a couple of SEC transfers. Iverson Clement is back um, on the team. He started out at Florida. And then Darvon Hubbard from Texas A&M. Um, so that's SEC, you know, caliber-ish talent coming to the AAC. Um I'm not going to propose drafting Dwan Mathis this year, but, but, but Please don't. I will, <laughs> I will, but I will say uh, I was looking back the, the offensive coordinator, Danny Langsdorf, when he was back at Nebraska. So you should be familiar as a corn husker. I mean, he ran Tommy Armstrong quite a bit, right? Um, so, you know, maybe we're looking, if, if Dwan Mathis retains his job as a starter, which, I mean, difference of opinion there, but he um, might retain it. I'm not saying he's going to look, I, I, I stand to be corrected. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I've no, just never no. been wrong on Dewan Mathis since he wore a Georgia uniform. 
I, I'm not I'm not saying draft him. I'm just saying running quarterbacks can be valuable in college fantasy. And even their head coach, Stan Drayton, who was at Texas as the assistant head coach, you know, run game coordinator, he's familiar with Sam Ellinger, who was the, the starter all four years. And he had, you know, 113 carries or more every single year that, that Ellinger started there. So, you know, they plan on running their quarterbacks yeah. this year, which could potentially be valuable in a, in a, in a weekly matchup, right. Against Navy, for example. Yeah, let's let's transition to another to a team with a little bit more intrigue, Tulane. Right, you've got Jim Svoboda coming in there, uh, coming in from Central Missouri to lead the offense. Um, I think Tulane only won two games last year. Michael Pratt two years ago showed promise. Last year had a really good start out of the gate, but then Tulane kind of kind of hit the blocks in the middle of the season as well. Struggled. Uh, I think we're going to see. Some upgrade in offense here uh, with Tulane this year. Where where are you kind of, you know, Tajay Spears comes back, should be fully healthy. Uh, they have a deep set of receivers, right? So where, where are you kind of focusing on Tulane right now? What what are maybe some questions or some spots that you're hoping to kind of, you know, maybe the the wrinkles get ironed out for us? I think in the passing game is, is my primary focus. Cause I do like Michael Pratt. I have a, a few shares of him in uh, some of my dynasty leagues. I think the noticeable difference between uh, Jim Spavoda and, and the previous offensive coordinator is with the passing volume. Yeah. I have it written down somewhere. They averaged 28 passing attempts per game under the previous offensive coordinator that jumps the 35 passing attempts per game under Spavoda. So we should see Tulane throw the ball a little bit more this year. Uh, I think you're going to mention Shea Wyatt, who had previous success under this OC. Uh, so I, I won't go into detail there. But they, I mean, they bring back most of their wide receivers from last year. They added a Notre Dame transfer. So the weapons are there for, for Pratt to succeed. Uh, just got to avoid getting beat up like he did last year because he, I mean, in that opener against Oklahoma, he took massive shots. So I think keeping him healthy understanding the offense if he can grasp it this offseason I think this passing game can really succeed this year yeah you know just to finish up the point of of what you started there with receiver Shea Wyatt and and one of the reasons why we're high on him is that he came over from Central Missouri a couple of years ago and under Svoboda he had I think it was a 12 1300 yard season at receiver in that offense and and so much of what we see now with college within college football is when these offensive quarter coordinators go places Sometimes we find success in their players that follow them because their familiar, uh, familiarity with the system, right? And so uh, that is one of the reasons why we like Wyatt. There is a deep receiving core there at Tulane. We're not expecting another 12, 13, 1400 yard season, but there's, there's some things to like with the offense. And like you said, the play calling probably going to be a lot more pass heavy this year and Wyatt's, you know, being familiar with the system, I think does kind of give him an edge and why we're higher on him in the projections. And I do like Tajay Spears there. You got to remember they, you know, their head coach is still one of those guys that likes to attack through the ground. I don't see them abandoning the ground game and Tajay Spears, you know, made his return from that knee injury. I think he had from a couple of years ago, he should be fully healthy. And I think, you know, Tulane's going to have a well-rounded offense this year and they're going to be deep. Yeah. Well-rounded, hopefully some consistency this year from the Tulane offense doesn't cause us to have a wave of emotions. Oh, look at you. Uh, look at you. <laughs> I had to get one. I, li- I, yeah, I like that, Mike. You're playing, you're playing off, you know, great compliment to, 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 to what I'm not finding here. So look, let's, let's, let's go over and, and close the AAC out with, with probably one of the more uh, fantasy rich programs this year for college, you know, college fantasy football, SMU, right. Where there's options at receiver options at running back quarterback, you know, we're pro- we're projecting Rasheed Rice pretty high in that offense. You've got Tanner Mordecai who comes back. And the question whether or not is Preston Stone going to be a factor in this quarterback race or is it Mordecai? And then you've got Kamar Wheaton who came over there and we're expecting to step into that running back one role after Ulysses Bentley transferred out to to Ole Miss. So where do you want to go? There's a few places we could go here and, and we can kind of touch on what we're seeing, what we've found and where some of the best ball drafts are going, but SMU certainly not a program 
uh, that we want to skim over and we want to spend some time because there's a lot of players on draft boards come out off of this roster here. Yeah, I mean, I think we can hit on on most positions here. I'll start with quarterback. You know, it was it, it was definitely a battle during the spring, but I reading some of the articles, listening to some of the podcasts, it was definitely noteworthy that I think Mordecai solidified his lead towards the end of camp. Um, I, I was handcuffing at the start. I've kind of gotten away from handcuffing in some of our best balls just because I'm confident that Mordecai can keep win and keep the job this year. I think the one thing that works in favor of having Mordecai and not, I think the relationship with Lashley and Stone helps here because Lashley recruited Stone out of high school. So they have a good relationship. I believe Stone's from the area. So like probably doesn't want to leave, you know, the Texas area. But I think his relationship with Lashley is good in the, that even if Mordecai wins the job, plays the full season, I think Stone will remain at SMU. Um, so you get a full season of Mordecai. If you have Stone on your roster, you get him in, in, in dynasties. You get him for next year. So um, I think Mordecai will eventually or will retain the job this year and for the full season. I think, and then the one thing that works in favor of Mordecai with the, the transition to Lashley's offense, Lashley's going to take more shots deep this year. That's just part of his, of his scheme. And Mordecai did succeed in that area. I think he was, let's see, 13 of 23 for eight touchdowns beyond 20 yards last year. So he was good throwing deeper, which is a part of Lashley's system. So I think it is a fit here. And we're looking at Kamar Wheaton to step in there. You know, obviously he didn't get any playing time last year, but but we're looking at him coming in with Bentley now out of there and just kind of inserting himself, plugging into that running back one role. As, you know, as long as he can stay healthy, there's no reason why somebody with with his talent can't step in and take over that running back one role, right? I mean, are you still a Trey Siggers fan? Well, you know, I tried to tell you last year, man, this was, this was funny. Trey said, I kept telling you every week, Trey Siggers, Trey Siggers, Trey Siggers. And, and Bentley was just not panning out. And I told you it's a year to year thing. I'm not a Trey Sig on the Trey Siggers train this year. I'm on the Kamar Wheaton train. It's a different year, Mike. It's a different year. Just like I'm going to have different sleepers and I'm, I'm look, it's coming. This is the first conference preview we've done. Changes are a coming for 2022, my man. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, Bentley was recruited by an SEC school and Siggers is still at SMU. So I think that kind of shows who's the better running back, maybe, kind of. Um, but <laughs> on, on the subject of... Well, you know, here, here's, so, here's something, too, real quick. Before we get off of SMU, I think we're all in agreement. Rasheed Rice is definitely it, right? Or, or Where we have probably spent more time in conversation with SMU is trying to figure out, is there going to be some sort of legitimate wide receiver too that emerges as a fantasy factor, right? We had Joshua Moore who looked like he was going there, not there. Bo Corrales came over from North Carolina. Uh, we're really not dead set on a wide receiver too right now being much of a fantasy factor. And right now I think you and I may have both have Corrales a little bit more in that slot right now. Do you? still have him right there yeah uh just to close the loop real quick on Kamar yeah. Wheaton I, I like Kamar Wheaton as you do this year um Lashley when he was at Miami last year just stressed he wanted a workhorse nobody eventually became a workhorse right Knighton's too small um you know some other guys had injuries and such but Lashley is insistent on having a workhorse and if Kamar Wheaton wins that job I think it's you know wheels up for him uh with regards to wide receiver I know that I, I, you're a big proponent of this too. For a team that's going to throw it 400 plus times, somebody else is going to be a viable option in the passing game and, and, and relevant in CFF. But I'm not seeing anybody else right this moment other than Rashi Rice. I mean, they brought in three transfers. Well, they brought in three transfers recently in addition to what, you know, bringing in Bo Corrales, uh, earlier in the winter, Jordan Curley's still around. Some of those sophomores who we really liked, and Roderick Daniels and Dylan Goffney are still around. Just a lot of guys. Clearly, if you're bringing in four, five transfers, 
yeah. you're not happy with the current construction of your of your your wide receiver room, right? So I'm not touching anybody else beyond Rashi Rice. I'm still not even a huge Rashi Rice fan, um, but he's going to be, he's got positional flexibility. He's going to be lined up in the slot. Three of the last four wide receiver ones under Lashley in the slot. So I, it's Rashi Rice and nobody else for me. Well, to your point though, that's right now, right? And that that's why these, you know, we're doing these shows right now in June. We still go in, we still have to go through some preseason camps, right? So these are the things that we're going to be watching as we go, because like you were mentioning, this offense, there's a pretty good chance we're going to see a wide receiver two, a relevant wide receiver two emerge. We're not there yet, but these are things we've got to keep eyes on as we get into preseason camp. Maybe it's not even until we're a couple of weeks into the season and one of these guys become a waiver wire gem, right? And so to your point, that's kind of the point of doing these shows to see the evolution of where we're at now, where we've come from in the spring and where we're going to be a couple of months down the line, Mike. So that's really going to do it for the AAC. I know you and I had spoken about doing these. We're going to try to alternate, go G5, P5. Next up's going to be the AAC, uh, the ACC. So we'll tackle them and that'll be our next show up. But with all, look, everything that we're doing and everything that we're discussing, we're touching upon on the guide. It's all right there. We're going to be updating it. It seems like at this particular point, we're, we're kind of getting some updates in there every five to seven days. So it looks like that guide, the projections are being updated once a week right now. And things tend to get and be a little slower during the summer, summer months unless we get some transfer news. And then as we get a little bit closer to the end, of, you know, after the 4th of July and once when teams start getting into camp and once when they start practicing and we get reports that preseason fantasy draft guide and the projections would just sort of, you know, it, it remains organic and it just keeps growing and we evolve it all the way up until a couple of weeks before the season starts, which is the height of college fantasy football draft season. So Mike, that's it for the AAC, unless you want to put a bow on it, something else that we left off. I wish I had a, a pun for SMU right now with the last team we left off on, but I do wow. not. So uh, make sure you sign up everybody to the, to the sites, you know, the, we've updated the the guide with depth charts. Who doesn't love depth charts? Always fun to look at. As you said, the guy's constantly evolving. And then again, the discord is, is popping. We're getting, we're getting new subs every day. Uh, new yep. people in discussing fantasy football uh, daily. So Slowly but surely, everyone's coming over. That Discord is really just invaluable the closer you get into the season and in the season because all of the late breaking news finds its way in there from injuries to, you know, any last minute uh, game day news. And then I know for you covering the DFS, a lot of those late breaking player news will, will even be even more important as we get closer there. So, you know, the one thing that I say is the earlier you come in, the benefit you have is to see the evolution of where some players are trending up down as you get a little bit closer to your season, as most of the drafts in college fantasy football usually are scheduled sometime between the start of the season and after the 4th of July. So that's going to do it, Mike. We're going to put a bow on the show. The AAC is done. We're time, time to move on to the ACC. So for Mike Bainbridge, my name's Joe DeSalvo. We'll see you guys on the next conference preview show when we do the ACC.